<laughs> All right. Well, happy Father's Day. Um, Now we're going to get serious for a little bit. Hey, one of the songs we sang is The Joy of the Lord is My Strength. And I used to, probably 15 years ago, was, was confronted with this idea of what if church was fun a little bit? And I thought, nah, that's not good. <laughs> you know, we can't, we can't have. But, but the truth is, you know, with a life centered on what God wants, there, there is incredible joy. And you can have fun with the coffee and the donuts from Krispy Kreme. There's a guy this morning who drove down there and brought them up for us. So as you leave, everybody gets a donut if you'd like. If you don't want yours, my son will eat it for you. <laughs> um, anyway, but we're talking about this is the last sermon in the series, Mirror Images, uh, Broken Reflections of a Perfect God. And we have covered like a lot of the really hot button issues of our day. What does the Bible say about um, homosexuality, transgender, abortion, race relations, euthanasia, um, all, all sorts of things, identity. Um, and so this is the last week on that. And, and really, we've been going through Genesis 1 and 2. And, and part of the foundation of this is we believe, like this very important question, who makes the rules? Do, do I, this is not me. <laughs> Maybe I'll leave the vest, but... That's not me. Um, who, who makes the rules? Like, yeah, God makes the rules. So who decides who God is? And the most common thing in our, in our culture is, well, I get to decide who God is. And I like a little bit of what the Bible says about God, but I'm not going to take all that. I want to make God like me and in my image. And, and so that, that sounds like a great idea until 8 billion plus people also do that. And then you have chaos and crime and war and pretty much a description of what the world is like today. Um, and so we believe, this whole series is based on the fact that we believe in the God that revealed himself in the Bible. And, and you might not believe in that God. You can believe in the God the culture made up yesterday. You can believe in the God that looks like you and sounds like you and thinks just like you, that's made in your image. But, but we believe in the God in the Bible. And so we're looking at what, what does the Bible say about God and what does the Bible say about us? Because if God created us, then he knows who we are. And, and like what Marco was saying, just our identity is, is something that God determines and not something that other people can tell you about or not something that I determine. And so today, though, we're going to talk uh, just real quick about singleness and marriage. And uh, going back to this verse, God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. And he's not just talking about marriage. He's also talking about the importance of companionship and friendship for singles. But he is also talking about marriage. And so we're going to talk about that first. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And so there's three false ideas about what marriage is for and about. And the first and most common one, most people believe one of these false ideas in our country today. The first one is that the purpose of marriage is happiness, right? Why are you, ask anybody, why are you getting married? They'll probably say, well, you know, she makes me happy. He makes me happy. I, I, want, I want to build a life together that we can be happy. That is not God's purpose for marriage. And if it was, 100% of people would be divorced. I mean... In a couple weeks, I'm going to celebrate my 29th anniversary with Becky, my first wife, and, and my only wife. 
And you know what? But if, if this was the purpose of marriage, we'd be divorced. There were times where both of us weren't happy with each other, right? So that's, that's not the, the purpose of marriage. So then other people say, well, it's completeness. Completeness. 1996 movie, Jerry Maguire. Couple famous lines. You had me at hello. I think that was in that movie. Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger. Um, but one of the lines that he, he gave is, you complete me. So romantic. Not true at all. Um, but very romantic. You know, you can tuck that one away for Valentine's Day if you don't mind, you know, not telling the truth. Here, here's the thing. <laughs> it's not in my notes. Uh, so... So if, if marriage completes you, you're going to wind up being one of two things, a leech or a chameleon. A leech because you go into a marriage thinking, I am not a whole person and I need this person to complete me. And so I need you, I need you, I need you. Take, take, take because I'm empty and, and you're the one who's going to fill me up and you're the one who's going to complete me. And that is not a good recipe for marriage. Or the opposite problem you don't know who you are and you need someone to complete you, to tell you who you are and you become this chameleon who just bends and conforms and becomes whatever this person desires or wants or says that you are and you don't even know who you are. And that's not a good formula for marriage. The Bible says in Genesis, he says, the two become one flesh, not a half and a half become one. That's not God's math. God's math is the three in the Trinity become one and the two in marriage become one. And so the purpose of marriage is not completeness. And so another false idea about marriage is it's a curse. It's a trap, right? We've heard this a lot. And for women, this is how it's described. It's at least modern women. Marriage is a sinister patriarchal institution meant to enslave and disempower you, right? And that's what they say. And for men, it's a little more older story and, well, marriage is being trapped by a woman into a life full of dull responsibilities that will kill, kill your dreams and freedom. You know, and oh, they got you. She got you, huh? You're the old ball and chain, right? And these, these are lies, all three of them, about marriage. The Bible says, and what it says in Genesis 2.18 is the reason you have a, a wife or a husband, if you're married here today, is not to make you happy, not to complete you, and it's certainly not a curse. It's to help you. But help you do what? Help you become more like Jesus. This series is called Mirror Images, Broken Reflections of a Perfect God. And God's goal for us, in fact, the, the purpose of our church, right, is what? More more and better disciples, more and better followers of Jesus Christ. And, and so how, becoming a better follower of Jesus Christ is becoming more like Jesus, to have his patience, to have his courage, to have his strength, to have his love, to have his forgiveness. Basically, to become the best possible version of you that you could be. And we do that by surrendering our lives to Jesus, asking him to pay for our sins on our behalf, and then living our lives for him. And, and uh, when we do that, you know, singleness and marriage then both become good gifts to help us become more like Jesus. And so there's two ways we misuse these gifts. The first is married people living as though they're single. Well, what does that mean? It means when you get married, things change. Okay, yeah, we're all, everybody's like uh, nodding their head, right? 
Um, here's here's what, how Ephesians 5 describes this change. First of all, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we'll get back to that. The importance of submission in every area of our lives, humanly speaking, is huge, right? We, we all need to submit to all sorts of people and to one another as Christians. And then it goes on specifically and says, wives submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. So here's two things that that, that doesn't mean, okay? Um, when we talk about this, um, and actually here's a, here's a better way of talking about it. Submission is important in every human endeavor in order to limit conflict. Do you recognize that? So every human endeavor, every country has a who, who's in charge ultimately? The president, right? Every company has a what? A CEO or a president, right? Or an owner. Every class has a what? Teacher. Every, every uh, sports team has a what? A coach. Yeah, Marco could tell us that. You know, it's not a democracy. I don't know where Marco is, but it's not a democracy. You don't come to, you know, practice and be like, you know, today, coach, I thought we'd do this. <laughs> Eat ice cream sundaes and, you know, no. There, there's leadership in every, every shift has a manager. Every army has its generals or commander-in-chief. Every school has a principal. Every state has a governor. Every, I was going to look for, I think they're in the next service, but um, every commercial kitchen has a what? A chef, yeah. And every church has a pastor. Every marriage has a, a husband. Every marriage has a husband. Why do we choke on that? Because every area of human endeavor, every area. Why? To limit conflict. If you get pulled over by a police officer later today, it happens. Church people, happens to pastors. That's, you know, that's about, that's embarrassing. I learn to not speed, and I sometimes still do. But because in this town, everybody knows. Yeah. <laughs> Last time I got pulled over, I came to church, and they're like, ah, Pastor Bob, saw you over on Grow F. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. Um, but if you get pulled over, and the police officer comes up to your window, and he says, I'd like to see your license and registration, and your response is, no, you show me your license and registration. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not submitting to you. You submit to me. Is, is that going to limit conflict? No, no, no. That's going to blow conflict up. You're going to be like, sir, step out of the car. <laughs> you know, you know the, and we know what happens in a country if there's two presidents at the same time. It's called a civil war. Often thousands, if not millions of people die. Last time that happened in our country, it was a war that was more loss of life than all the other wars we've been in in our history. And so, so here's what the world says. The world says, no, 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 the husband isn't the head. Um, you know, you, you're, both, you're both the head, right? You, you both, you know, work it out together and, and that kind of thing. And, and um, here's what they mean. They mean when you have a decision that you can't agree on, the most willful, stubborn spouse will hurt or wear the other one down to the point where they give in, and then you know who's leading. 
And if on any particular issue you're not sure, it's, it's a struggle to the bottom of who can, who can force the other one to succumb to your will. Is that really a better system than just knowing when you're going into it? You know what? The husband's going to be the head. And, and this will limit human conflict. And, and one, something that a lot of people say is, well, you know what? In a marriage, you're supposed to decide things together. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what the Bible says. The two become one flesh. You decide things together. You become one. But what happens when there's a tie? Who breaks the tie? And, and our culture does understand at least one part of the head of the home, and that is who bears the ultimate responsibility when things go wrong. And I think in our culture, there's generally a, a sense of it's the guy's fault. Most of the time, it's the guy's fault. We know this. I say this in marriage, as I said, from this point forward, everything will be your fault, groom. <laughs> and everybody laughs because they all know it's true. <laughs> And so we know the responsibility of leadership is with the husband. And the Bible says the authority of leadership is there as well. Now, men, before you like run away with this, <laughs> submission, here's two things about that submission. Number one, you know, what it, what it looks like is sacrificial love. Um, it's not to try to get, well, even before we get into that, first of all, your job if you're a husband is not to get your wife to submit. Submission is her job. You just forget about that. All right? If you do your job, you know, this is like with wives. You can never make your husband love you. You, you can't. And if you try to make him love you, you, you will be frustrated and, and, and miserable and, because you can't. You can't do his job. And if you're a husband, you can't do her job. Stop it. Stop trying. It's making things worse. Right? Submission is her deal, not your, your deal. Your deal is to love. And again, th this leadership of a husband isn't, you know, how do I get my wife to agree to let me buy one of those bikes? <laughs> right? I mean, me Phil had a bike. I mean, his wife let him. Right? And it's not, you know, leadership you know, of, of a husband in a home isn't like, how can I get her to go along with fishing eight hours every weekend? Me, by myself, that is, fishing while she does everything. Like, how do I know? This is what loving leadership looks like. It's, it's like the Marines, right? The, there's a book, Leaders Eat Last. In the Marines, who's the last one to eat? The leaders, the sergeant, the commanding officer, whoever it is. Why? Because it's the sacrificial, you know, you don't, you don't like just order your men, hey, take that hill while I sit back here and sip my coffee. You know, that's, that's the Air Force. <laughs> I'm, I shouldn't have said that. We got some airmen that will deal with me. No. Anyway, I'm going to just get out of that. No, no. The Marines, man, they go, you know, you're saying, follow me, right, as we take that hill. And, um, and that's what God wants. That's the kind of husbands God wants us to be. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And again, what is the goal of this love? To make her happy? 
No, because you know what, guys? Sometimes you ain't making her happy. It's just the way it is. But the goal of Christ in the church is the goal of the husband in the marriage, and it's to make her more like Jesus, holy, clean, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. Love them to Jesus. Love them to make them more like Jesus. Here's what marriage is not. It's not you adjust to me and all my little things, my little quirks, just get used to it. No, that's not the goal. It's we adjust and become more like God together. And marriage is an incredible program to help us do that. Because, don't take this wrong, I would, I would think I'm a much better man than I am if I wasn't married. But because I am married, in my relationship with Becky, I see my own selfishnesses more clearly. And if I had trouble seeing them, she could point them out to me. <laughs> But thankfully, she's, she's good about that. But after all, no one ever hated their body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does to the church, for we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And this is a profound mystery. And I'm not talking about, uh, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So this love and respect, each one of us doing our own job. Here's the thing, two, two, two things to kind of stop and think about. Number one, if you are married to an abusive man or woman, it is not loving to continue to let this individual abuse you or wallow in their addiction of sex or drugs or whatever it is, alcohol, and rack up more judgment and hell upon themselves. That's not loving, to give them what they want, when what they want brings the judgment of God on them. Okay, the loving thing to do is to stand up and at times even leave and so, because the goal is not to do what they want. In submission, a wife, you're, it's not, well, you know, I've just got to submit and do what, you know. No, you submit to God first. And if, and if your husband is wanting something that will bring more of the judgment of God upon himself, or if he's treating you in a way that will bring more of the judgment of God upon himself, then you need to submit to God first and help him not continue down that path of greater judgment. Okay, and, and, and so we, we just need to realize that the goal is to be like Jesus. And, and so another thing, two ways we misuse these gifts, married people living as though they're single and single people living as though they're married. Now, last week we talked about sexual morality and what that was, and so I don't want to get into that today, but what that's talking about. But, but again, Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone. Okay, this is not just about marriage. This is about the importance of friendship and companionship for those who are single, which is like 40% of adults in America today. And so, uh, you know, many of you, yeah, and, and for those who aren't single now, you may become single again at some point in your life through divorce, through death, right? And so, so what does this mean? 
We all know you can be alone and single, but did you know you can be single and not alone? Did you know that? Yeah, amen. That's awesome. And, and here's, I'm going to say something that is going to blow some of you out of the water, and, and there's a reason I'm not saying this on Valentine's Day. Um, the idea that your spouse should be your best friend is a recent cultural idea, and it's nowhere in the Bible. Okay, I, and I'm going to repeat that again. Before I repeat this, I do want to say, in, and I'm not just saying this, in my life, my closest friend actually is my wife, Becky. But that is not always the case. And, and that isn't something the Bible necessarily teaches. Um, we have sexualized everything in our culture, everything. And so we believe love is sex. And it's not. Love is not sex, and love is not intimacy. And, and love is not companionship. I mean, sex is not, I mean, love is intimacy. Sex is not intimacy. Sex is not friendship. Like, you can be friends, and you should, you know, but, but that, they're not the same thing. And you can have intimate, deep companionship with another individual where there is no sexual component to it. The idea that your spouse should be your best friend, recent cultural belief, read old books. Read old books and pay attention to who the characters have as their best friends. It's almost never their spouse. And I'm not saying we shouldn't strive for that. I'm just saying that that same sex and non-sexual, non-romantic friendship is awesome, and we need to reclaim that. In fact, I was telling Joel to say this, I'm stealing his thunder, but this is why we have stupid games out there for when you leave, okay? Is so that you won't leave right away. So many of you, you come like two minutes after it starts, in which case you missed a really funny video, but um, you know, and, and then you just leave when, it, when it's over and you don't talk to anybody. You know what? God has called us. Church is not a, a program once a week that you hear a half-decent speech and sing. Like, that is not church. Church is a spiritual family because you can't follow Jesus alone, and we need each other. I just wrote a letter to one of our men who just went into the, the military, and I won't say what branch. Sheesh. A, a good one. They're all good. And I wrote him a letter, and I said, I'm praying that you would have one man, just one man in your unit who loves God like you do, so you can help each other. Because one, one friend can make a huge difference. I heard from his mother that he actually took the letter, I talked to a little bit about what it means to be a man and to follow Jesus Christ and courage and all those things, and he actually read it to some of the other men in the military, not shy about his faith at all. And, and we need to be like that too. Um, I wish this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 7. He talks about singleness being a gift. I wish all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One is this gift, another that. He's basically saying, some of you have the gift of marriage. You know, you know, you know which of us have the gift of marriage? marriage? All of us that are married, yeah. <laughs> It's a gift. I don't know how many single people I've talked to that say, I don't have the gift of singleness. You're wrong. 
You do have the gift of singleness. It's not this superpower that you just feel like different. If you're single, you have the gift. You know, and, and he's saying, you know, another is that, now the unmarried and the widows, I say, it's good for them to stay unmarried as I do. And he talks about what is, what is good about it. And he says, because I can have this totally focused devotion to God. And, and I don't know if you've heard of some of the single people in the Bible. One of them is kind of well-known. His name starts with J. Jesus, yeah, that's, that's his name. He's single. The apostle Paul was single, wrote 13 books of the New Testament. And as you read about Paul, you find he traveled with tons of people, friends, Aquila and Priscilla, John, Mark, Barnabas, Silas, Luke, Epaphroditus, Timothy, Titus, Aristarchus, Gaius, Onesimus, Sosthenes, Trophimus, Tychicus, and others. And some were married, but most were single. And they would be willing to lay down their lives for Paul. And, and they would, you know, I have a friend who lives in Tennessee. I don't hold that against him. But uh, if I needed him, he would drive at midnight to come up to see me. And he would, he would mortgage his home if I needed it, him too. And every time I call him and we get off the phone or he calls me, it's very awkward for me still. He says, I love you, Bob. And I'm like, I love you too. <laughs> no, I, it's not that kind of love. It's the Bible love. The love of being willing to sacrifice and give and, and companionship and friendship. And this is something, you know, if you're single, you need to be very um, intentional about forming friendships and and feeding and fostering those. And us married people need to understand that, okay? It's not like, oh, you're single, you can work over Christmas. Like single people don't have family and single people don't have friends and they don't need to spend time with their friends. I understand someone's got to work Christmas, but not because you're single, right? Let's not, you know, and there's not this two tiers of, you know, if you're married, you know, you're here in your spiritual life. You're here single, you know. It's not a holding ground. Being single is not like a failure. Like, I'm single. Aw. No. No, we get, and what's wonderful about this church is we got a bunch of single people who are like, you know what? I'm happy. I'm happy as a single person. And I may never meet anyone. And that's okay. Because I'm a whole person. And you know what? I have other healthy, good relationships in my life because I know it's not good to be alone. And, and I want to mention names, but I, I won't because I didn't get permission, but I'm very proud of many of our singles who, who live that way. Um, it's not a holding ground between, you know, the, the great life or the terrible life you had as married and the next life that you're going to have when you get married again. And now I'm just in this weird, no. This, this is where God wants you now, and it's a gift. It's a gift to be single. Marriage is not your ultimate purpose because none of us will be married in heaven. 
It's not, it's not the end of the journey. It's just one of the things that God uses to help us become more like Jesus, just as singleness is one of the things God uses to help us become more like Jesus. The biggest goal for marriage is not companionship, but become like Jesus. The biggest goal for singleness, same thing. Um, if you're, so if you're married, don't criticize your spouse for like seven days, okay? Just encourage. Now, if there's things that you've never shared with them about how they could love you better, then share those things. But if you've shared those things a hundred times, just stop and just either submit or love, okay? And see if that doesn't, in a week's time, maybe make your marriage a little bit better than the same old nag routine. Uh, but if you're single, here's your assignment. Strategically, intentionally, take time to spend time with, with friends who will help you become more like Jesus and encourage you, because that is just as important as, as it is for a married person to interact with their spouse um, in ways to, to deepen their relationship as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. Um, I thank you for your word, and uh, that, that, I mean, we just, we just scratch the surface of of your insights into our relationships and in, into what you want us to become. I just thank you so much for Jesus Christ, for his death on the cross, for his example in life. And Lord, I just pray that no one here would leave here without asking Jesus not only to be their savior and to take away their sins and the punishment for it, but Lord, that they would make you their Lord and master and just follow you. God, just help us to follow you. Help us to become more like you, whether we're single or married, that we would just make more and better, become better disciples of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.